Hello. 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 I, I never know how to say hello. I, I feel so awkward every time I say hello. Uh, hello. <laughs> I'm Tim John. Welcome to We're Only Human. This is season two of We're Only Human. If this is your first time tuning in, thank you so much. I hope that you are enjoying whatever episodes you've listened to. This season is all about exploring who we are as people. I'm asking every guest the question, who are you? And today's guest is someone who I've known for a little over eight years now. We've worked, we worked together for about eight years. And I remember the first day I got to work and this is back pre COVID of course with offices and there were only 10, 10 people in the company. I think I was number 11. And so it was small company at the time. And we uh, all went out to lunch my first day to celebrate new employee, I guess. And Adam was, he was in the middle of the table. I didn't know anybody really. And I remember everyone was kind of like saying that Adam had kind of the frat boy vibe or the bro vibe. And and I didn't know that they were totally joking because Adam, <laughs> Adam is so far from that. Adam is one of the, the kindest, uh, most genuine and just unapologetically himself people. And, you know, we need more Adams in this world for sure. And so I always remember that lunch because I remember that perspective I had of him going, you know, at the, at the lunch. And then of course, getting to know him over the eight years after that lunch. And to this day, uh, couldn't have been too, couldn't have been any more different of perspectives. Um, Adam is just, Adam is amazing. So we're going to chat with Adam real quick. First though, we're going to do a good old fashioned sound check. Uh, okay. What did you have for breakfast this morning? What did I have for breakfast this morning? Cereal. I had cereal with milk in it. It was delicious. I had four types of cereals mixed, actually. You mixed four together? Oh, I got to know which four. Uh, I did muesli, special K, raisin bran, and like a honey oats, uh, one of those like kind of cornflakey style of cereals. But I love to mix cereals. That's my favorite way to do it. This sounds like the adult Adam version of mixing. I was expecting like Cocoa Puffs, Frosted Flakes. Like I feel like the kid Adam would have had four different cereals. Uh, the kid Adam probably didn't mix cereals as much as adult Adam, but I would say that adult Adam uh, definitely mixes his cereals, but I try to eat healthier cereals now because I'm like uh, training for some big races and I am trying not to eat crap all the time. Today, I am here with Adam Tuttle. He's a father, son, husband, brother, director of revenue operations at Active Campaign. And in my own words, I think he is one of the kindest people I've met. I've known you now for like just over eight years, Adam. And in the entire time I've known you, you're always somebody who's helping others, both professionally and personally. Um, I th- Positive energy is first thing comes to mind. Like when we were back in an office together in the before times, just somebody who brought such energy, such positive energy to to everybody. I think you're like also something to me that sticks out is you're always like yourself unapologetically. I, I really admire that about you. And I think that's something we all strive to be. And I think we all struggle with it. But I think at least from the outside looking in, you know, you're somebody who who's like Adam. And this is me. Um, those are my own words of how I would kind of describe Adam Tuttle. But I'm curious if somebody asked you the question, "Who are you?" What would you say? Oh man, that's a a heck of an intro. Uh, I I definitely would. I think I identify with the things that you said. Um, so definitely the the father, husband, son, brother, cousin, all of those things. Um, and I do try to be authentically myself. If someone were to ask me, I think I would try, like if I were to like go super generic with it or maybe like high level, I'd say I'm, I'm someone that is trying to become the best version of me. And I understand that, oh, I, will I, like never, that. I will never be that, but that's okay. Like that, that's part of the, the fun 
Um, and so I try to apply that mindset then to the various areas of my life, whether it be my profession, my relationships, like the things we've mentioned, uh, my faith. Those are all journeys that you're on all the time. And so for me, it is a journey. I see it that way as a journey of trying to become the best version of myself. Um, and so I, w- I would say I'm a work in progress. That's that's probably the best way to put it is I'm a work in progress. And I'm really proud of that because I think it's uh, – if you can acknowledge that, then you're much more willing to make yourself better. Oh, I love work in progress. I think it's so healthy to – like I think we're all works in progress and it's so healthy mm-hmm. to, like you said, acknowledge that. You did mention right away that you're probably not going to become or necessarily reach the best version of yourself and you're okay with that. I'm curious, why that qualifier? Like why not, why won't you reach the best version of yourself? So when you said, for me, and this is my mindset, right? So I, I think like that's really important to like put out there right away is, I don't necessarily expect everyone to take this, this mindset and that, and that I like, that doesn't bother me (laughs) at all. But the the reason I say that is I'm someone who's like very goal driven. And so as I set goals for myself, once I accomplish that goal, I then look at like, where can I go next or where can I take these skills that I've learned and become better at them? Um, yeah, like so a good example of this would be last year I was uh actually this was a couple of years ago. I was listening to a podcast. I was running through a park in Sydney, Australia. I was listening to a podcast about this from this guy named Ross Edgley, and he swam around Great Britain. So he literally swam six hours on, six hours off for like 157 days straight. Minus like two days that they had really bad storms and had to park the boat and he swam around Great Britain. And, but he was saying how, if you look at him, he's built like a tank. He's a huge guy. He's very muscular. He's like, I'm not built like a quote swimmer, but I swim. Therefore I'm a swimmer. And I was like, I've never identified myself as a runner, but I was like, but I'm running. Therefore I'm a runner. So then I said, well, I'm going to run an ultra marathon. So I set a goal of running a 50 kilometer race, which is like just over 30 miles. And I trained my butt off last year for it. And I ran that race. And then I was like, well, I've done that, but that doesn't mean like I should stop. It means now that I've, I've learned a lot about myself physically. I've learned a lot about where I can push myself mentally for that race. Right. Cause you go into some dark places when you've been running for like hours and hours and hours and hours. And I then said, okay, I did that. Now this year, I've just started training for a triathlon. So I'm throwing in new elements of swimming, which I haven't really ever done before. And I'm taking the physical skills that I learned last year. I'm applying those to the elements of biking, running, and swimming to now become better as an athlete. Uh or a death dad fleet as I like to call it. But uh, you know what I mean? So like, I I think it's just one of those things that like, you know, I want to be the best father possible, but I am still learning new things every day. And I hope that when I'm like 65, 70, that I'm still willing to say, I'm sorry when I make mistakes, I'm still willing to learn from those mistakes to become a better father, even though I will have fully grown children. Right. And so I I think like, it's not a a self deprecating thing. It's more just a, I want to be better. Therefore, I want to evaluate myself constantly, even as I gain skill sets to become the best version I can be. I see. And I guess also, if you ever were to become the best version of yourself, then you could no longer grow and progress forward. So it's almost an acknowledgement of, in order to continue to grow and progress Theoretically, I can never actually stop. I can never become, I can't reach the top. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, you think of, uh, I don't know if you ever saw that movie last samurai, but the, no, no, the, there's a, it's about, I won't tell the whole story, but there's uh, an American soldier in the 1800s who's in Japan and he lives in this village of like samurais and, and different Japanese people. And they're kind of, resisting the change of like the modern world right so the the new japanese culture that's coming in from british 
British influence and things like that. And the kind of leader, the head of that village, uh, this warrior is looking for a perfect cherry blossom. And so he's always on the hunt for the perfect cherry blossom. And towards the end of the movie, he he's about to die and he knows it. And he sees the cherry blossoms floating through the air and he goes, they're all perfect. And I think that the way that like I think about it is like, you know, we all have one mind. We all have one body. We all have one spirit. Um, and you are like, there's flaws in some of the things that we do, right? Like no one's perfect, but yet there's, there's beauty in our humanity. And so the way that I look is like, there's, I've been given this gift of life and I want it to be a, a fulfilling life. I want to, you know, help those around me, be a good person, all this stuff. But that comes through like that continual evaluation and molding and, and forging and fire, if you would. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think for me, again, I don't see it as this like negative thing. I see it as like an exciting process that I get to participate in, um, which is the process of life. Yeah, I like that. Where, where do you, you've put so much thought into how you live your life, which I, I love, but I imagine you would need a time or a place to kind of like recharge. Like where do you find the moments to, to recharge? Like, is there a special activity or place you go to as you spend time with specific people? How do you recharge? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, that is something I am learning to do. Um, my wife and I, we both tend to run pretty hard. Like we're like, we just like are very active people. We stay up late. We get up early. We just like, go, 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 go. We've got four kids. So like life is just busy. Um, I think for me, uh, one, I'm trying to learn how to like take time off. So I'm not professionally, I'm not very good at like taking days off. I'm very distracted by like my work all the time uh, because I love what I do, right? Like I, I really enjoy what I do, but I've had to learn how to like step back and be like, hmm, I need a break or I should take some time off to be with my family and like actually like turn off the phone, turn off the computer and just like be present. So for me, like uh, I've tried to make my weekends that time where I really, like I don't check my work email on the weekend. I figure if someone needs something desperately, they'll either like text me, you know, and then I'm like, oh, that's, that's like important. And that very rarely ever happens. So I've kind of just tried to say like the weekends are my time. And, and I really try to make that like um, important. I think the other thing for me is uh, I've mentioned like exercise. That's been really important for me in the last year to like mentally. Uh, actually, I, I think it probably goes back a couple of years. Um, I, I had transferred roles uh, a few years back and it was uh, quite a bit more stressful than my previous roles. And uh, I learned the, the value of exercise for me mentally and that actually even when i'm going at a really fast pace if i prioritize that 30 minutes to an hour let's call it three to four days a week um i feel so much better both emotionally uh mentally and i would say certainly physically as well it's amazing i, I think that sort of recognition of because i feel that too like when i go for bike rides in the morning I know before I go for the bike ride, you know, even if I do a 15 minute Peloton, like I know I'm going to feel better that day than if I don't do that. And it's like, once you have that recognition and awareness of that, it's almost like the medicine, right? You're like, oh, if I want to feel better today, I can take that medicine and, and be more productive and probably a better human to all those around me. Yeah. Yeah. When I was, when I was training for my ultra last year, uh, if I didn't train for like three days in a row, like, you know, usually I had no more than like two days off, but like, let's say that we just had some family things going on and, you know, I didn't try to make that my priority. Um, my wife would be like, why are you getting so cranky? And I was like, Oh, it's cause I haven't exercised. And I, I just realized like, I just felt better. And so it, it sounds like silly to like exert yourself physically to like recover. But I think like, it all feeds into itself. Right. So like sleep, um, exercise, meditation, if you're into that, like there are different things that we can find as individuals that help us as individuals. And I think like 
one thing that for me is like not trying to find someone else's formula because I think there's a lot of really good advice out there. So there's a lot of wisdom of like scientifically what is beneficial, right? We, we, we can know that. But at the same time, you have to find what works for you and in the life that you live because, you know, I'm willing to get up at 4.45 in the morning on a Friday to go swim for an hour. Someone else that might be really not good for them. And that's, that's okay. Like that actually is, if they can recognize that, that that's really beneficial to them. And so I think like it's, it's finding that balance within, with your own self of what works for you. Yeah. I saw you, I think I saw an Instagram story of yours the other day where you were, you had the timestamp, it was like six in the morning and you were driving home from swimming or you were, you were done swimming. And I was like, I mean, I know you, I, I wasn't surprised. Like you, you have that drive. And I was like, man, I got to harness that. I, so, sp- yeah, go ahead. Sorry. No, I was just going to ask you about how you ran a thousand miles last year. <laughs> we can talk about that in a minute. Uh, I did. Yeah. I ran a thousand miles. I, I think for me, like I, I, uh, I do have drive when I have goals, but I consider myself kind of like a lazy person, <laughs> which sounds, might sound silly, uh, <laughs> pairing that with running a thousand miles, but like, um, or getting up at four forty-five in the morning, or getting up at four forty-five in the morning. Which, to be fair, I hate the morning. Like I'm not, uh, like I'm not so, like someone that's like, yeah, like let's get up early. The sun's up. That's not me. But in order to balance my life, so my kids to be you know present, my my spouse uh, to serve in my church community, to do all these other things there's only so much time in the day. And so for me, I've just said, well, I like for the triathlon that I'm training for, I'm like, I really want to do this triathlon. It's important to me. It's a, it's a goal. And so I've just had to like prior prioritize that. Like, well, if I want to get that done, then I might have to get up a little bit earlier, a few days a week. Um, does it mean that I like look forward to that? Absolutely not. But otherwise I won't hit my goal because if I, don't work out. Like if I don't swim in the morning, that means I have to swim after work, which means I lose an hour of time with my family. And even though we might be playing tech or doing different things, there's still that, the value of being like present with each other. And I think like, that's, you know, again, for me, that's something that I've kind of made a priority in the last like year and have been learning about of, of trying to make a you know, a good experience for my family. Yeah, you mentioned being present. I've noticed, I don't know if your kids play Minecraft or if you've gotten into Minecraft with them, but uh, I was introduced to Minecraft in the past, I don't know, seven months or something. And like, it's something that my kids and I will play now sometimes. And I used to think, I'm like, oh, we're sitting here playing video games. But, and I don't know, again, if you're familiar with Minecraft, but just this, it's it's not even a game in my mind. It's like creative yes. socialization. Like we sit there and like, we're each building a world together and everyone's got their own like creative outlet of what they're creating. But then I also noticed like, and there's probably some psychology behind this, but when we sit there and play, we're all just talking to each other. Like we're talking about our day and recent happenings in our life. And I thought some of my most like favorite memories are sitting on the couch playing Minecraft with them. Like it's such a social activity. So the, when you just said about, even if we're doing tech and being present, like I think there are, I think I've switched my view on that. There are ways to be present while still using technology, which seems very anti this world because we're always in technology. Yeah. And I, I think for myself too, like I would probably take that a little bit further of like, it's the, like being available. Right. So yeah, my kids know that like, if I'm in my office working, that I'm working and like, it's, you know, they'll come ask me questions, you know, are you on a call dad or things like that? So I'm like, yes, no. And, um, you know, especially when I managed sales teams, like I was constantly like on the phone with people, like it just was a nonstop. And so, you know, maybe I'm scrolling Instagram, but at least I'm available that if they want to come have a conversation, if they want to be present, I'm there. Whereas when I'm working, I tend not to be available uh, or I'm not good at like maybe defining those boundaries at times. So I think that that's like, for me, it's just that like, like almost like the shutting of the office door indicates like, it's their presence physically, but also like in spirit, if you would. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. And like setting expectations too, because then they know when you're, mm-hmm. you know, available or, or working. So what inspired you to run 
I mean, first you set a goal last year of running a thousand miles, but then you achieved it, which by the way, congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, it was probably more that I knew that I wanted to run the ultra. So I knew that if I didn't run a lot to train for that, then I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't succeed at it. And so like setting a goal to run a thousand miles was probably more so the, it was like a, a fuel for the, the other goal of running the, the ultra because when I ran the ultra, that was at the end of September I had to take a few weeks off because my one of my feet was like pretty tore up and it was it was very painful. So I was like, I just need to give it a break and rest. And then I would run, but like I got to like within like a hundred miles, and I was like, which normally like at peak training would have taken me like two weeks to run, and I it took me like four months, and I was just or like I guess the last three months of the year, I just like like almost had to like force myself out of the door. So like. I did complete the goal, but I would say it was like, I, I kind of like barely completed it because I was not feeling it after that race. I was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> how, how far is an ultra marathon? I'm not familiar with the ultra. Ultras are super cool in the sense that they like, so an ultra marathon is basically anything longer than a real marathon, which is 26.2 miles. I had never run a regular, I'd actually never run a race before. And uh, I decided to run this ultra. It was a 50 kilometer race, which is typically 51 miles or excuse me, 31 miles, 50 kilometers. But this race ended up having a couple things. So it, it was like 33 miles when it was all said and done or, or right at that. Um, the piece that's very interesting though, is there are ultras now that are over 250 miles long. And the guys that like run these races, some of them, you know, it takes them like five or six days, right. Like, to run like the whole race. Some of the guys though, like there was, there's a big race out in the Moab desert called the Moab 240. And it, so it's 240 miles long. And a few years ago, the guys that won that race did it in 67 hours and they ran for 67 hours straight without stopping, which is wild. 67 hours. I mean, that's almost three straight days. Yeah. <laughs> it's wow. Like the, 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 the athletes that like go into that type, these types of events are like the, you know, uh, I, now that I'm training for a triathlon, I follow a number of like professional triathletes online and they're just, their brains are built a little bit differently. It's, it's pretty phenomenal to like see how their brains are wired with like pain and and suffering <laughs> they can they can endure a lot and so it's it's very inspiring right like i don't going back to that first point of becoming the best version of myself like i don't expect that i'm going to become a professional athlete but like when you see someone that is you can say like even as i progress i'm like man there's someone better than me so i can keep pushing myself to become better right so maybe that's like kind of the fuel behind the whole like becoming the best version of yourself and it's <clears throat> I don't think that it's always good to compare yourself against others because that can also have like negative things, right? Like if you're like, man, I should run as fast as a professional athlete. Well, it's like, well, no, they train like 20 to 30 hours a week. That's their job. Um, you're probably not going to be able to do that if you're like a, you know, a side hustler athlete. Um, but it shows you that there is potential that you haven't probably tapped into yet. And so I think like you have to approach that one a little bit carefully, I think, but uh, I think it's, it's very exciting. It's very fun. Do you ever, I, you, you ran a thousand miles last year. You set the goal, you accomplished it. Now you're hitting, you did ultra marathon, you're doing a triathlon. Like, I don't have any doubt you're going to achieve all of these goals you set for yourself. Like, it's not even a question in my mind. So I'm wondering for you, like, do you have any doubt like, or are you setting goals? Like are the goals you set goals that are in your mind potentially unreachable or are these goals where you're confident that you're going to reach them? Oh, that's a really good question. Um, I think the answer is yes and no. So I have some, I would like label myself as like a dreamer. And what I mean by that is, I love to think of new ideas and I love to like dream about like the what ifs, right? 
sometimes those dreams are very unrealistic. And I've had to learn as an adult to acknowledge that. Because sometimes then I would get really disappointed when things didn't happen the way that I thought they would. Mm. When in reality, there was no way that that was going to happen. But I would just like psych myself up. And so I've had to kind of learn how to take that step back at times and just like balance myself out a little bit, if that makes sense. But with these types of goals, like so when I ran the ultra, I remember hitting a week in training. So I trained for about six months for it. Uh, I knew that it was realistic because I had done enough research to know like how long I needed to train for and things like that. So I think like I do try to set like realistic goals because to me, if it's not like realistic, like if I were to say, Hey Tim, you know, I've been, I haven't really been running much lately, like a few miles here, a few miles there, but like I said, tomorrow I'm going to run a 250 mile race. That's not realistic. Like there's just like my body would like give up. It, It couldn't do it. So that's not even like a real goal. That's like a kind of a figment, right? And I think goals need to be like at least within the realm of attainability. So with the ultra, I had done enough research. I knew how long I needed to train for with where my fitness level was, which I had really never run more than 10 miles ever. And I had only done 10 miles once in my whole life. Um, most of my runs were like, five or six, like it was, or, or less, like maybe a lot, a lot of five Ks. So three miles. Um, but I remember hitting this point last summer, I was training. The race was in September. So this would have been around like July kind of peak, peak training, uh, time where my miles were like the highest. And I would often do, well, I've not often, I would always do my long run on Saturday morning, and then I would do a recovery run the next day. And I remember I hit uh, a point where I was running like 24 to 27 miles on Saturday. And then I would run 12 miles on Sunday morning. And when I hit that point, wow. I was like, I can do this ultra. No, like I was like so ready to just do it. Um, and then I like tapered. So I like kind of cut back the training for the last two or three weeks. And then I went out and I executed on it and it it was really good. It was really successful. And I think that's how I'm trying to approach the triathlon as well. Now I have more confidence this time though. Cause like at first you would, when I I remember like my first long run for the ultra was seven miles and it was a drag. Like I was like, Oh no, like this is not good. (laughs) Um, but I just kept doing it. Right. And you just like slowly build up. Well now I, have been starting the train for the last almost two weeks now and like the swimming element is my my weakest point because i haven't ever really swam laps and i have a mile swim for this race but like i already like with my training i'm like i've got it i already feel so confident so i've like added to the confidence level and i don't think it's arrogance i think it's like uh you know, I've seen where I can push myself. I know that mentally I can like go into like a dark place and like come out of the other side. And so I'm like, well, even if I have to go to a dark place during the race, like that's okay. And I'm willing to like push myself through that. And it's kind of like, that's where I find like the fun of it is like, can you push yourself so hard and still like come out of the other side and, and like smile about it? Yeah. I was going to ask you where you find the confidence where you find that kind of confidence. And you said, you know, you've kind of learned at this point about yourself. Is that just like, um, like a past behavior type thing where you've just over time built up the confidence or do you find it in other places? That's a really good question. I would not. Hmm. I'm trying to think how to answer this truthfully. Uh, I have confidence now. I do not have not historically considered myself a confident person. Um, even as a kid, I was often filled with doubt and I would let, uh, intimidation of things like overwhelming, like very anxious. Um, and I still wrestle with that. So like, just to be like, be honest, like I think that there's, there's pieces of my life that I still get anxious about, or I, I feel like a lot of doubt in, um, I think with, the things like, you know, like I said, a, a few years ago, I would have, if you had told me like, oh, you'll run an ultra marathon, I would have laughed at you. I was like, there's no way. Cause I always told myself, I said, I'm not a runner. And when I listened to that podcast, 
something clicked where it was like, oh, but I do run. So therefore I am a runner. I might not be a fast runner. I might not be able to run like forever without stopping. You know, I'm not like a superstar athlete or anything like that. But I was able to like take that mindset of like kind of identity of like, I am a runner because I run. Therefore I can build the endurance. And I, and I know, like I have enough confidence to say like, it's going to take time, but if I'm willing to put in the work, that will pay off. And so I think the confidence comes from like, I trust myself to put in the work and, and to like get to the goal. Um, Cause otherwise, like if, if I couldn't do the work, then nothing's going to happen. Right. And so do I have like the confidence to just say that like, Oh, I know that I can always just do this. Absolutely not. But where my confidence does come in is I do believe in myself to like work hard. Um, whether that be in my career, this kind of, you know, these types of races and things like that. So I'm still figuring it out, but that's, I guess that's my, my, my answer in the moment. Sure. Sounds like when you heard that podcast, like you sort of gave yourself permission to, you know, like, okay, I'm a runner. Like that's that, like I'm giving myself permission to go down that path now and no more hesitance. Yep. Yeah, no, I think that that is it. And I, I think that just that realization that, you know, again, like I've always, you know, again, just being transparent, I think with insecurities that I've had, it's because I compare myself to other people. And so I think like that's a lot of self-doubt. Um, again, as a child, teenager, uh, careers, you know, as kind of grown up, uh, that self-doubt is there. But allowing yourself to say like, hey, I might not be as good as that person, but I'm going to like be the best version of me. Right. And so like you build on that and that's like something I've, I've like chewed in that idea of like the best version of yourself for like a couple of years. So it kind of fuels me at this point to just be like, how do I like get myself to the next level? And, 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 and even like, I remember when I started that ultra, I remember that the race started and I knew what I was capable of running. I had some goals as far as like what times I wanted to run and things like that. And I read a number of stories and heard a number of stories on YouTube and things like that of people that they get really excited in the race and they, so they push themselves way beyond their capabilities and then they like blow up in the race, right? Because they, they push themselves way too hard, way too fast. And so this pack of what I would call like really good endurance athletes gets ahead of me like as soon as the race starts and i was like oh my gosh i gotta keep up with these guys and and so i decided that you know what no you have to run your race and so i like literally made myself like slow down to get to like what i needed to get to uh, as far as like my pacing and stuff like that because i knew what i was capable of but i knew that if i tried to push it too hard then it was going to make the rest of the race harder and I'm really glad I did that because the guy that won that race, I, I finished in like five hours and 45 minutes. The guy that wow. won the race finished an hour and a half earlier. So he he completed the race in an hour and a half less time. Like if I had tried to keep up with him, I would have I been toast. Like there's no way. Right. And so I think it's just like learning that piece about yourself of like what can you do to like run your own race. And, and like, keep yourself calm when the pressure's on. And then you, you make, you know, intelligent steps one, one after the other. I, first of all, I, I love the idea of running your own race. I think that that conflict almost of us comparing ourselves to others is so common among each of us. I'm curious, where do you think the desire for that comes from? I mean, I do it too. But I'm, you know, from your point of view, like, why do we compare ourselves? Why do you compare yourself to somebody else? Hmm. I mean, I'm going to give like a a generic answer, but I think it's kind of like in our human nature. And I I don't know what drives that. Like, so like, I'm sure like you, you referenced earlier, I'm sure there's like a psychological like concept that talks about this, but like, you know, uh, I mean, if you look at like stories throughout history, right. It's often like, uh, uh, what was it with the, you know, who's the most 
fairest in the land, you know, and it's Snow White, and then she yeah. gets mad, right? Like, so there's always this comparison yeah. against against others. Um, but I think as people, we desire to feel accepted, and I think acceptance often comes through the idea of like being equal to other people, and so if you feel that you're you know, in, in whether good or bad, like I'm not like social media f- fuels this fire with people a lot, right? Because you see the snapshot of someone's life. Well, what you didn't see is the like two hours they set up to take the picture. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, yeah. my sister-in-law is a, a social media influencer and she's, you know, she does, she does it for like fashion blogging and things like that. She's really good at it, like really successful, really great. But people don't see the 40 hours of work she puts in each week to make like 10 posts, right? Like it's like there's a huge amount of work. And so they see this life and they're like, oh my God, like it's just flawless. And I I think that we have that desire to be like others. Like that's why for history, people have always like pursued like wealth. They've always pursued like, you know, and in, in certain times in history, wealth meant health. Uh, lack of wealth meant death, right? Like so, there's like I think it's kind yeah. of just like in our evolution as as people um, that those things are there. Yeah, yeah. No, I totally agree with that. I'm. This is totally random, but I, you've um, always been someone who enjoys ice fishing. I've never been ice I do. fishing. Yeah, yeah. I know you love it. I've never done it. I've done regular fishing. Um, but I'm, I'm curious, like what, what role does that play in your life? Like, is that a moment of like Zen for you? Sort of a moment of cabin in the woods type thing? Or what, what does that look like for you? Yeah, in your life? I, oh man, you are asking lots of good questions today. So if anyone's listening and you're not familiar with what ice fishing is, basically once a lake freezes over, you can walk on it and you drill a hole, you have these big drills that will drill holes in the ice somewhere between six and 10 inches around. And then you drop a little lure for the fish and you try to catch a fish through the hole. And it has this kind of stereotype of uh, a lot of guys just sitting on a bucket or drinking beer, which a lot of people do both of those things while they're ice fishing. Um, One it's when I, when I ice fish with people, there's such a really good community. It's fun. Like that you can like go out and talk to people that you've never met before. Just like, you're not going to like get their phone number and like go be their best friend, but like you get a, like you have this mutual interest in common and that's really fun. For me though, I just find it really relaxing and peaceful. Like I, I, I actually like probably prefer fishing by myself or with my boys. Um, Cause that's like fun. That's good time for them and me when there's, you know, no other distractions. Um, but one of my favorite nights or days ever ice fishing was on New Year's Eve. And I think it was like 2016. Um, we live right by a river and there's these channels that come up off the river and a lot of people ice fish on those channels. And it's a block from our house. And so I went out, it was like right before dark. I said, okay, I'm going to go out there. And it was a full moon that night. And so I was able to fish like past dark because I could still see what I was doing with the moon. And I was the only person on the ice. It was just, it was perfectly quiet. Like the night was calm. Um, And there was like coyotes howling in the background. And there's this giant moon hanging like over the water with the light bouncing off of the ice, you know, making it kind of glow. And that is arguably one of if not my favorite memories ever of being outside and i do a lot of like hunting and fishing and stuff like that but so for me it's just that like kind of peaceful it it is a zen place it's very quiet like again it kind of removes distraction and i like trying to figure it out like it's you know they don't call it like catching they call it fishing right which is a you know (laughs) adage um, I've never and, heard that before. I oh, like really? That. Yeah. No. <laughs> I, whenever people complain about not catching the fish, I said, "Well, that's why they call it fishing, not catching." <laughs> um, and I, but I really, I do enjoy that, and I just enjoy trying new things. I also like to spend money on gear, so like you know, that's it's a good way to like burn through cash pretty quickly <laughs> to buy all the fishing stuff. But you no, know, for me, it's is that I like being outside. I like being in the cold and just. You know, again, it's like if it's like minus, you know, 
degrees below zero, it's like, how long can you be out there and kind of like push yourself before you give up before it's too cold. And I, I like that, like that kind of fuels me. I'll, I won't take my kids in that for anyone listening. Like, don't worry. Like I'm not sadistic, but like <laughs> I, I love that idea of how far can I push myself to like endure it? Um, and you know, when no one else, will anyone else be out there today? Probably not. Let's, you know, let's try it. Um, so yeah, a little strange in that aspect probably, but. No, not strange at all. I think I see a little bit of that, you know, that best version of yourself mantra is inherently fueled by, you know, how far can I push myself or can I push myself to get to that next level? And so this feels like a little bit of that, right? Like you're almost little challenges to yourself of kind of almost maintaining that ability to push yourself when you need to for the goals you set for yourself. Yeah, exactly. I, I think that that's, it's just, I, I, I don't know where it comes from, but it, like for me, again, it's just like, where can I like, and I am a creature of comfort. Like I don't want, there are people that are like way more hardcore than, than myself. But like for me, there are things where I like to just see like how, how far can I like push myself to, to become better or to like, just see like, can I do it? Right. Like that's, it's kind of like that more like, can I do it mindset? Then it's not to like outprove anyone or outdo anyone. It's just uh push myself further yeah and you know i think you just said something like you know you're not a crazy person or something but it's funny because like you're one of the most even keeled like calm chill and not chill in like a zoned out like way but chill in a calm way you're one of those the most calm even keeled person i know um you know because sometimes i think when you think about someone who's like driven to push themselves to the next level that they're going to be kind of bouncing off the walls or hopped up on the coffee or, you know, just yeah. like kind of, you know, jittery and you're, you're kind of the opposite, right? Like you're, you're very, like I said, even keeled. I, this is totally random, but I was just thinking like, I bet you'd be great in an emergency. Like you'd be the person who keeps everyone calm and, you know, level-headed and, and probably gets us through this. I, I say this in a not bragging way, but I like actually my wife, when uh, we first got married, we were camping and it, like a storm ripped through and like knocked over the tent, like half of it collapsed in. Ooh. And she was like, ah, what do we do? And I was like, well, we get up, we go set up the tent, you know, and I just like executed on like getting the problem solved. Uh, and she, she always like kind of jokes. She's like, ah, that's when I knew I love you because like, in her family she's like we would have like all like freaked out and like lost our minds and it was like a voice of reason i'm not always like that though there are certain things like put me in costco on a saturday with my kids and i become like a nut job um <laughs> so like, even keeled is like you know there's there's uh there's extremes on both sides but i i appreciate that that's a super awesome compliment to get i would be I, here's how I'll phrase it. If we were to put someone in a Costco on a Saturday with their kids and they weren't a little bit emotive, <laughs> I'd be worried about that person as a human being. Yeah, that, that's fair. I think like learning to be calm is actually something that I've, I've had to like, cause I, I am very passionate. Like I am a, like someone that is like, I really like believe in what I do and I can get like fired up pretty quickly. Um, and I don't like ever like take that out on people. Like I'm not like someone that goes and like just like yells at people or things like that. But I can like feel the emotions, right? Like you, it surges up and it bubbles up, and you start typing that angry email really quickly, <laughs> aggressively. Um, and I've had like really work on being like calming myself down and learning to talk myself off of that. Um, I think one of the best illustrations I can give to like where I saw this, like if you can learn to be calm, how it helps you. And it was like just this personal experience. But um, for a few years, my family and I lived in Sydney, Australia, as you know. Um, and while we were there, my boys and I took jujitsu and uh, we been doing it for like probably, probably about a year right around that. And there, the, the, the school that we were in had like a little in-house tournament. And so I ended up winning the first three uh, matches 
and I got into the fourth match with someone that I had already beat, but he was he was actually better than me, and I knew it. Like I knew in my head that he was better than me. He was about to like level up on his belts within like a couple weeks, and so I was like, I just got to get through the match. And so, long story short, he with like I think it was a six minute match. He gets me basically like in a headlock between his legs, like his knees specifically, and he is smashing my face. Like it hurt so bad. And he was on my neck and I couldn't breathe. And I was about to tap out and like, you know, basically say like I surrender. And I like literally like raised my hand in the air. So I, if you imagine I'm like laying on the ground, he's on the ground. I'm smashed between his legs. Like can't move. It's super painful. I can't really breathe. And I get, I like put my hand up in the air to tap out and I hear my kids yelling and they're like, one more minute, dad, one more minute. Oh. And my friend Steve is with him and he's like, one more minute, Adam, one more minute. And I, I was like, well, I'm just going to pass out if, if this happens. So I put my hand down, but I knew that if I fought against him, if I knew that I tried to get out, I would lose breath and I wouldn't, I, I would lose. And so I literally made myself go completely limp. I just made myself lay there and I was like, I can endure the pain. And as long as I don't fight his, his legs on my neck, I'll be okay. Although it's super uncomfortable. And I ended up winning the match barely, but I, I won it. But that was like, for me, that was like this pivotal moment where I was like, when I forced myself to be calm in a situation that was very intense, I was able to achieve success. And so like when I was coaching my kids baseball last year, I was always like harping on the boys. And I was like, when you get the ball, your moment is like in the moment, you're like, want to throw it as fast as you can to try to get the guy out. But that's where a lot of mistakes are made in little league is they overthrow, they throw wild because they they don't take that moment. So we would literally do drills where I would throw the ball to them and then I would make them count to like three and then throw it. Like they just had to like learn to calm themselves down take that extra moment and do it right. And, and maybe lose the out, but that's okay. But at least you didn't throw it wild and give the guy extra bases or things like that. And so that moment in jujitsu is kind of a silly illustration. But for me, that was like this moment where I was like, man, if I can learn to keep myself calm in situations, then I open myself up to being like really successful with things. Cause when you see things go really badly for people, it's usually when they lose their shit. And they, they don't say calm, right? And so it, it was, it, again, it's kind of a silly lesson, but it was like something for me that was like this really like aha moment. I was like, oh, that, that actually makes sense like in a physical sense of jujitsu, but also like in like life. If you can keep yourself calm, you, you have a better chance of winning, I think. Absolutely. That what you said about your kids in baseball, I've seen them do that in Major League Baseball and it just clicked for me now. Like sometimes you'll see like the second baseman or the third baseman, like they're about to throw it to first to get the guy out and they don't throw it right away. Like they hesitate. And I'm always like, why don't you throw the ball? And they hesitate, just like you said, for a couple seconds. And then they throw a perfect throw that goes right to him and gets him out at the last second. But it just clicked for me what you said. Like had they maybe have thrown it right away and a little bit wildly, they would have not thrown it to the, you know, it would have overthrown. Yeah, well, it I mean, and too, like if you get a guy like Javier Baez running bases and you overthrow, like he's on third base, right? <laughs> like, yeah, it's almost like a risk reward thing. Like the, the it, risk it is, is so high. And that's like where, like I watched my kids play spring ball last year. I have twins that are now 12, but I watched them play spring ball last year. And then I ended up coaching them for fall ball. And I never, I never uh, coached before. But like my whole thing was, as I watched spring ball, more runs were probably scored off of errors than were actually scored off of hits. You know what I mean? Which sounds silly, but like in like kids literally. So that's where I was like, don't make errors. Like, yeah, yeah. I'd rather the kid get on base and tag him out at second than you try to like overthrow and then you know they take two more bases and then they can steal home. So it was just like that that piece of like all the time. It was like, just slow yourself down, slow yourself down, make sure you do it right. And so like I would make the, if the boys made mistakes in practice. They just did push-ups. Like you miss, you make a bad pitch, 10 push-ups. You, you do a bad, and I was like, I would rather you take your time and do it right. I will never, ever like give a consequence for that 
because you did it right. Like even if it delayed the, again, like you missed the out, but you threw the ball to second base and the second baseman didn't have to step off the bag to catch it. That was a success in my eyes. And so just trying to teach them that like, you know, after doing like a hundred pushups in a practice, they, they got really good at like just pausing and, and throwing. Right? Oh, I bet. <laughs> pushups will do that to you. <laughs> Were you nervous to coach for the first time? I was. Um, I am, as you've mentioned, pretty laid back. And so I, I'm not like a, a super intense, like sports nut. Like I, I, I like sports and I enjoy watching them. I enjoy it. I love going to my kids' games and, practices and stuff like that but like yeah coaching was like the next thing i was really really fortunate though that i had an assistant coach who his his youngest kid was my boy's age so at that point it was 11 um but he had two older boys that were like in their 20s and he had coached them literally like all the way through travel ball everything so he had been coaching for like 15 plus years and he was really respectful of the fact that I had been, you know, given the head coach role. And so he never like overstepped, but he always like supported and really like, he's like, we should do this drill. Um, this is a really good one based on like what we saw in the last game. And so he gave lots of feedback, but then he was still even like, let me kind of lead it. And I was like, yeah, whatever. Uh, like you can like lead the drill. I don't care. But that was like a real, like, I consider that like a real blessing almost because I didn't have to deal with like some crazy guy or someone that didn't know anything as much as I did. Right. So we, I had someone that had a huge knowledge and experience level that was willing to come in alongside of me rather than trying to like overwhelm me. And it was awesome. It worked out really well. And I had a blast with it. Yeah. I bet you had such a, or provided such a great experience for the kids too. Cause I mean, you know, we all remember the coaches that were good and the coaches that were not so good. You know, I uh, I saw one of the boys from my team at a baseball clinic in our community about a month ago, and he jumped up and smiled and came and gave me a high five right away. And I was like, "All right, like I didn't suck." <laughs> <Because> <laughs> I felt like you know, I mean, I was I was I was really happy about that. But it was really it was a really cool experience to, to have that happen. Absolutely. Adam, first of all, you definitely don't suck. But secondly, thank you for for taking the time to chat today. This has been such a pleasure for me. Um, I mean, I could sit and talk to you forever, but you uh, do have a life that you need to get back to. And um, yeah, just thank you, and thanks for just being you. Like you're, like I mentioned, you know, such we don't see each other all the time anymore. But uh, the energy you bring into this world is is so needed. So thank you. Uh, thank you, man. I really appreciate your kind words, and it was good to catch up after after so long. You can find all episodes of We're Only Human at we'reonlyhumanpodcast.com, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. <laughs>